Fitzgerald. He is Saeed Jones. It is somehow only Tuesday and you are watching AM to DM. I think I speak for everyone and frankly Vladimir Putin included when I say what the hell is going on y'all? What the hell is I'll say this I think Vlad I think Vlad knows exactly what the hell is going on. He's like the only one. He's still, like the only one. I still think Vlad is still like what the hell is going on but like in a pleasantly surprised way. Like you walk in <laughs> you walk into your surprise birthday party. What the hell? shouldn't have. <laughs> that feeling when you make a bet and it pays off even more than you thought it would. Yeah, but the rest of us don't feel that way. Mm, not that our party. Yesterday. Truly wild. And I know we say it on the show we a do. lot, but truly wild. And we Where were every you? single time. What was it like? I guess we were we were starting to plan for today's show and kind of doing meetings. You know, we go into the, the brief period of Isaac and Saeed's day mm. where we're like you sitting at our desks, mm. <laughs> mm -hmm. looking at Twitter on Slack and it was just like, oh my. Every moment was more surreal than the moment that came before it, mm -hmm. you know? And, and so it, that's what made it so difficult to process because it was like, wow, the, the questions that were asked during the, uh, during the presser were stunning in and of themselves and their candor. Shout out to the Reuters and AP reporters and then Trump's response and, and, and that Trump was like, don't worry, Vladimir, <laughs> I got this one, buddy. It was like, what? what are we doing? Yeah, the, the, even just the body language, just yeah. everything stood out so much. And then to see the reactions that were coming out of it was just absolutely incredible. For me, one of those moments mm -hmm. that stood out was him saying, thank you for your time. Thank you for the president of the United States mm -hmm. said to Vladimir Putin, thank you for your time, as if he went out of his way, as if he really was doing him a favor as by was, showing up. As if it was the end of a job interview, right? That's like that, thank you for your time. I, I really look forward to hearing from you. And I just thank you so when much When should I be expecting an email? Thank you so much for this opportunity. <laughs> and again, Putin was just like, literally smirking at the camera. Mm -hmm. You know, it was bizarre. And I've also been struck, again, you know, watching, again, the tone, the language. Thank you, thank you, thank you. In stark contrast, Trump can be a bully when he wants to. Okay, we've seen him at the rallies. Like Trump, we've seen him in debates. So if he could do anything well, is he knows how to read the house down when he wants to. He didn't yesterday. Yeah, an opportunity to shine, really. I'll tell you this, I was as thrown as a soccer ball. <laughs> I was. I was. Remember, you okay. just like, here you go, Melania. Oh, my God. Well, let's talk about this tweet uh, from Gabriel Sherman. Um, at Presser, Trump referred to Putin as the president when Trump calls every other world leader by their first name. Angela, though he definitely says Angela. Mm. Uh, Justin, Teresa, I'm sure when he met, you know, Queen Elizabeth, he was like, hello, what's up, Lizzie? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say this, it reminded me of this Emily Nussbaum tweet that I saw, this mm. is, and this was before yesterday. She just made one of those simple points that people make on Twitter, but it kind of blows your mind mm -hmm. a little bit and she was like the most damning thing is that Trump doesn't have a nickname for Vladimir Putin like that fact alone is kind of kind of weird kind of damning Whew. yeah well listen, a lot let's take it to the timeline so much happened yesterday what was a moment soundbite soccer ball pass a revelation <laughs> that stood out most to you let us know using the hashtag am to shook am to shook am to 
democracy. You in danger, girl. <laughs> girl, I'm just, I can't even be clever with the hashtags, y'all. Well, let's spill the Russian tea um, and start with some of the responses we've seen so far from members of Trump's own party. You can imagine what Democrats are saying this morning. Yeah, Newt Gingrich said this. President Trump must clarify his statements in Helsinki on our intelligence system and Putin. It is the most serious mistake of his presidency and must be corrected immediately. Immediately. Here's Paul Ryan's response, tweeted by Washington Post Robert Costa. The president must appreciate that Russia is not our ally. There is no moral equivalent between the United States and Russia. Ooh, strong words. Andrew Tobias of Cleveland.com. Southeast Ohio Republican leader resigns over Trump-Putin meeting. Had it. Wow. Fed up. Mm -hmm. Shook. Uh, and, and Ashley Feinberg, this tweet. Wow. Lindsey Graham took it to his Instagram story. Not sure how Trump's going to bounce back from this one. <laughs> I, I mean, Graham's on the gram. I, I didn't know Graham was on the gram. Also, I didn't know. I wonder if he needed to do one of those ask boxes on Instagram. I mean, I just figured out Instagram stories. <laughs> Graham's on the gram. He's on the gram. He eventually tweeted out as well. But let's get some answers, y'all, because we have nothing but questions. We're going to go live from the district right now with BuzzFeed News Capitol Hill reporter Emma Loop. Emma, okay, we are seeing a lot of talk from Republicans, of course, about this summit, um, but can we expect any substantive action beyond the kind of thoughts and prayers, tweets, and Instagram posts? So the statements are pretty critical of the president, but there isn't really a ton that they could do. They could hold some hearings potentially, and, and some Democrats have suggested that they do so. Uh, they could hold hearings about what happened uh, in you know congressional committees, whether it's the Intelligence Committee or another committee that does so, maybe for the Foreign Affairs Committee. But uh, it's, it's, it's looking like there's not a ton that they could do other than publicly reprimand the president. And let's talk about those public reprimands. Like, basically, what's the language they're using? Like, what are we seeing Republicans saying to the president right now? It's a real range of reprimands. So you've got a guy like Senator John McCain who's calling this a disgrace and saying it was an awful, you know, uh, performance by a U.S. president in front of an enemy. And then you've got others who aren't really calling out the president by name, but are clearly disturbed by his actions. Senator Richard Burr of North Carolina, the chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, put out a statement saying that, you know, basically the president needs to call out any of these lies from Vladimir Putin. And so it's been a range. And then you've also got a guy like Rand Paul who's just saying that, uh, you know, all this criticism is coming from people who don't like the president. Um, Emma, I wanted to ask you, Isaac and I were just talking about like how we kind of witnessed uh, the, the presser yesterday and our initial reactions. Listen, you are our Capitol Hill reporter and, you know, I'm sure you're on the phone and talking to people on the Hill. What was your afternoon like as all of this was emerging? <sighs> So I made the very unfortunate decision a long time ago to take yesterday off. I was actually in Canada and I landed at one point in Toronto after my first flight back and uh, was shook, as, as you guys have said, because the indictment had come out with Maria Butina and I was just like, whoa, there was like a wave of information going over me and I could not keep up. I was like, I have no idea what's going on. Yeah. All right. Now, Trump has a meeting with Congress at 2 p.m. today, who's going to be there and, and does anybody know what to expect? 
so these are members of the Ways and Means Committee, and uh, it's it's not really sure what to expect at this point. Um, and likely, this is going to come up with members who you uh, you you might expect will be uh, wanting to bring up his comments yesterday. Right. All right. Well, we will keep an eye on how that develops. Well, here's a tweet from Vera Bergengrun here at BuzzFeed. Maria Butina, a 29-year-old American University graduate student, cultivated ties with the NRA and U.S. gun rights advocates as well as politicians for years. She was arrested and charged with working as a Russian foreign agent. Okay. First of all, I read that at American University, she was studying like international relations, which I say, extra credit, girl, you did it. <laughs> extra, Emma. <laughs> extra credit may be in prison, I mean, listen, extra credit. That, if that ain't a semester project, <laughs> I don't know what is. Emma, okay, I, I, like you, was truly stunned yesterday. Everything was already happening, and then this news broke about Maria Butina. Um, walk us through this as best you can. How did she, again, a graduate student, cultivate these relationships with the NRA, Russia, and U.S. politicians? So she formed a gun rights group called Right to Bear Arms that was kind of Russian affiliated and was very involved in the NRA along with Alexander Torshin, this Russian banker with very close ties to President Vladimir Putin. And so she was using the NRA and her position as a student here in Washington, D.C. to cultivate these ties, you know, take people out for dinner and that type of thing, attend, you know, NRA events and cultivate relationships that way. And according to uh, to U.S. authorities, was doing so in order to affect U.S. policy on behalf of the Russian Federation. Okay, so but that to me sounds a little bit like somebody that's just ambitious, a mover and a shaker. Is there an actual crime here? What's, what's she like really being accused of? So she is being accused of working as a foreign agent without registering with the U.S. Um, with the U.S. government. Anyone who's working on behalf of a foreign government, whether it's you know as a lobbyist or whatever, needs to register with the government as a foreign agent. And they are saying that she failed to do so. She failed to. Do <laughs> I mean, sometimes you forget. Cross your teeth, cross your eyes. Um, I guess I want to ask, like, I was a bit thrown by the NRA. Like, we've, we've heard a lot of, you know, different variations on, like, oh, I forgot to sign up and let y'all know, you know, that I was working with, like, another government. But, but how does the NRA figure into this? What did they have to gain from this relationship, I guess? So some essential context here, there has been some reporting from McClatchy specifically that um, the FBI has been investigating whether Torshin funneled illegal money, uh, money illegally through the NRA to help Trump. Um, as we know, the NRA was a big supporter of President Trump during the 2016 campaign. There was a big influx of, of, of money that came in and it's kind of dark money where you can't publicly see um, where the money came from. And so there have been reports that the FBI is probing whether that money illegally funneled through the NRA to help Trump. Okay, now I want to be very clear. We want to clarify this. This is not part of the Mueller probe. Mm. So who did bring this charge in? This is just the FBI uh, field office in D.C. Oh, okay. <laughs> this right. is just, just the, the Girl, local it's just FBI. another day in the district. <laughs> Washington, mm. D.C. All right, well, here's a tweet from Matt Berman. The top congressional committee, committee investigating Russian election interference has been probing Maria Butina's finances before she was charged. So, Emma, how significant is it that the Senate was already investigating her? 
So this is fairly significant. This shows that she was a person of interest along with Alexander Torshin uh, well before this indictment came out. They were looking to see if the FinCEN, which is the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network at the Treasury Department, had any sort of derogatory financial information on her. So any sort of transactions that banks would have deemed suspicious. And so it's unclear whether the committee got any of those documents back, but Senator Richard Burr has repeatedly told me that they're getting documents on a rolling basis from Treasury. And so it's very possible that they did receive documents from uh, Treasury on Boutina or uh, Torshin or perhaps none at all. All right. Well, uh, Emma, <laughs> first of all, thank you for joining us. But we also have to say happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Happy birthday, Emma Loop. And girl, you know, this is not the, the moment for it, but I uh, want to make a wish. <laughs> um, I, my wish is for a coffee right now. Okay, all right. All right, that is, that that sounds is, that is an achievable goal, Emma. And then alcohol later today. All right. Gospel. <laughs> all right, thanks for joining us, Emma. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> All right, friends. Uh, up next, it is still a good morning on Twitter. We're not even going to pretend like it's a good morning out in the real world. Stay tuned. <laughs> See you in a second. Welcome back. Okay, here's a tweet you might have seen from former CIA director John O. Brennan. Donald Trump's press conference performance in Helsinki rises to and exceeds the threshold of high crimes and misdemeanors. It was nothing short of treasonous. That's right. Uh, treason seemed to be the word of the day yesterday. Literally, Merriam-Webster tweeted, top searches in order, treason, abase, traitor, collusion, presser. Category is, where is my copy of the Constitution? I need to... <laughs> Okay, Siri, <laughs> Alexa. Well, Ryan Beckwith pointed this out as well. Searches for treason were also high on Google. Yeah, so, so a lot of people got questions. A lot of questions. So what exactly qualifies as treason? Andrew Wright, former assistant White House counsel to President Barack Obama, joins us now for an explainer. Andrew, good morning. Good morning, how are y'all? We're doing great, thanks for joining us. Let's start thanks here. Thanks for having me. Did Trump, commit treason yesterday? Not as a legal sense. You know, treason has both sort of a popular definition uh, and a legal definition, which is a little more limited. And in terms of a legal definition, we would need to be in active warfare with Russia, not just engaged in the cyber warfare that we're dealing with right now. But as a matter of popular culture, the normal use of the term treason outside of, uh, you know, law professor world I think the president is selling out American interests to Russia, and it raises incredibly big questions about why. Okay, so to, to follow your point, it sounds like unless the United States formally declares war on a country and then that act of treason occurs, like we, it's a, it's a no-go, basically, for treason? Yeah, formally declares war or authorizes the use of force like we have in Iraq and Afghanistan, but something more formal, a legislative uh, you know, enactment that we're in active hostilities with a foreign co country rather than just adversaries, geopolitical adversaries like we are with Russia. But clearly Russia is attacking us, attacking our, our uh, election infrastructure, attacking our civil discourse in this country. And uh, you know, President Trump seems to be coddling that rather than listening to the intelligence community and law enforcement in our own government. All right. Now, impeachment is more of a, a political process. You know, it seems like a gray area, a word that likes to be thrown around. Um, does treason kind of fall into that similar place? 
Well, absolutely. Treason in the formal legal sense certainly would. But, you know, it is a political decision. And high crimes and misdemeanors, it's not just a political vote, but it's also not a formal legal concept. And if, if the considered judgment of the Congress was that the president was more loyal to a foreign adversary than to the American people and the American ideal, then they could certainly move forward with an impeachment uh, and, and conviction on that basis in their judgment. Okay. And here, you know, we have real questions. And, and one thing I'd just like to take issue with the last interview with Emma is Congress could do a lot in the face of this. They could start by stopping their attacks in the House, especially on the Mueller investigation and get a credible congressional investigation going on their side about what is motivating President Trump and expand that to include why he's getting all these cash payments to look at to buy properties around the world, including his golf course in Scotland. They could issue a concurrent resolution that would say that a, a pardon of himself or his family members or business associates would be trigger a constitutional crisis and initiate impeachment proceedings. They could uh, ratchet up sanctions on Russia. There's a whole lot that Congress could do beyond just tweeting their thoughts and prayers for a better America um, in reaction to what President Trump uh, did over with Putin in Helsinki. Okay, so there are options. Um, but the thing is, uh, what is the likelihood of a sitting U.S. president um, actually being charged with treason, much less convicted? I think it's diminishingly small. I mean, it's a, and in this case, it wouldn't even uh, be applicable without a, some sort of formal authorization of force against Russia. However, there are lots of other crimes that could be associated with this conduct, potentially, including money laundering, including conspiracy to defraud America, uh, including potential campaign finance violations or other things. So the president is not out of the woods legally by any stretch. I just don't think treason is the right legal frame uh, to capture it. It might be the right political frame, but it's not the right legal frame. But it's not the correct legal frame. Has any president ever been accused of treason? Or are there any other moments in U.S. history in general where treason has, has been convicted? There are no, no convictions of, of a president for, for uh, being a traitor, although I would hazard to guess that every president has been accused of being a traitor uh, by somebody. And, you know, that's partly why it's such a stringent legal standard. It was greatly abused um, in, by England before in the colonial era. And so our founders were really concerned about the misuse of treason to attack political opponents. And that's why they ratcheted up the legal standard. And that's why they ratcheted up the legal center. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for joining us this morning. I sure appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Andrew. All right, so a lot was going on yesterday. <sighs> America, the world, we were just being tried. We were being tested. And of course, y'all were like, let's stress out gay people. Uh, let's talk about the... <laughs> Let's talk about the gray lady being ashy, as I like to say. Here's a tweet from Juan Pa. If your excuse for homophobic jokes is, no, it's funny because they hate gays and would hate being called gay, then you don't know how homophobia works. Like, yeah, a lot of men hate being called gay. It's why gay is used as an insult. What's your point? Yeah, I'd argue you don't know how humor works. Mm. That tweet, of course, is referring to a cartoon posted yesterday by the New York Times that depicts Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin as... <sighs> Forbidden Lovers. Forbidden Lovers. And listen, that animation was originally published during Pride Month in June, mm -hmm. which, okay, that's a choice. And then re-upped yesterday in light of the Helsinki summit between Trump and Putin. And uh, it, it like had a staff of something like 11 different people working on it. And it just drove me crazy. So we're going to talk about this mm -hmm. because this is a long tradition, actually, of this kind of rhetoric. So joining us now to talk about why that cartoon was homophobic is Zach Stafford, editor-in-chief of Into. Zach, good morning. 
Good morning. It's nice to see you guys. Nice to see you. And as always, <coughs> thank you for joining us from the West Coast. Because Of course. It's morning. It's very early here, but I have my coffee, so I'm good. Okay, good, 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 good. Okay, to start, for people who have not seen the New York Times op-ed's animation, what happens in it and, and what's the basic problem? Uh, it's a bunch of mess. You know, what we're seeing in the cartoon is something uh, that we've seen for decades and decades. It's showing two men who we think are not uh, well, that are sick, that are mentally unstable, uh, coded as gay men. Uh, so you see Putin and Trump uh, being rationalized around why they're acting the way they are by being gay. So the cartoon shows that Trump is really in love with Putin. So because he's in love with Putin, he's doing all these terrible things that we've talked about this morning and for now almost two years. Um, and it's because underlying all of this is that he just wants to be with uh, President Putin. So it shows them meeting up, going on long rides, um, how the animator creates their bodies. He's very much insinuating that Donald Trump is what we refer to as a bottom or a passive partner in the relationship or a woman. Uh, and then that Putin is the top or the man, that Trump will do anything to be with this man, um, that all he wants is just him to notice him. So they ride a unicorn through the sky. They take a long ride. Um, there's even a moment where Donald Trump uh, pinches of Putin's nipples, and then they kiss, and a fire erupts between the two men. And it's just this deep, deep passion. And what the cartoon is saying is that, like, in a time in which we cannot understand why all these things are happening, it feels so insane, so crazy, but the only rationale for all this insanity in the world is that they're lovers. Uh, and that is homophobia at its finest. And it's a really smart homophobia because it plays into decades of media representation that says, you know, why we shouldn't allow queer people to exist is because they're actually sick. And if you let them be in love, that it will be dangerous to us all. That will be dangerous to everyone. Let's talk about that history for a little bit, because we don't just see this with Trump and right. Vladimir Putin. They also did it with Kim Jong-un. And like you said, there's a long history of this joke. Why is it still so prevalent in society in 2018? I think it's because we still haven't dealt with the structure of homophobia. You know, we still have lots of legislation in the United States and globally that says queer people aren't equal. And there's still a lot of anxiety of seeing queer people as equal citizens that deserve equal support. Um, and what's interesting about this type of satire is that it's not for Republicans at all. This is actually for Democrats. This is for liberals who think they are, they are woke, that they have resolved their homophobia. And it's a space in which they can project a lot of homophobic uh, anxieties they have but they feel like in a Twitter culture where they, they'll be dragged or subtweeted forever. Um, they need these kind of coercive media moments to really show that they innately don't believe where people are like fully healthy, functional people in society. Um, so it's really tapping into something that homophobia still is very much a part of the fabric of society. And we still don't think of gay men, especially uh, in this circumstance, as fully realized human beings. Um, instead, of, instead, instead of saying that, we're going to create a cartoon that projects that anxiety onto people that are undeniably bad. Um, and that's our way of saying, you know, gay people are still not totally normal. Um, but we're not gonna say that, but we're gonna say that like Kim Jong-un is gay, that Trump is gay, and these are the gays. Um, so it's a very fascinating dilemma that we still can't seem to unlearn. And it's because these things are very, very old. I mean, even looking at Disney, every Disney villain for a long time was a gay man, was a very effeminate man. So, you know, this is something that's deeply caked into us as people, and none of us have really done the work to really absolve ourselves of it. Right. Uh, to broaden the conversation for a second, listen, this was published in the New York Times opinion section, and I think it's fair to yeah. say 
that the New York Times op-ed section has a very, let's say, back, back, back and forth dynamic with Twitter, right? It, it's often happening, whether it's Brett Stevens, Barry Weiss, these kinds of comics. What would you say to people, let's assume in good faith, who say, wait, mm -hmm. but this is the opinion section. It's supposed to be a space for, you know, kind of edgy, radical, sometimes humorous takes on politics. I think it makes it even worse in many ways. You know, we're still in a moment where we think uh, journalism has to be uh, objective. And the objectivity is that it has to be even. You have to have a, the good and the bad. But, you know, as a gay man, seeing this type of homophobic uh, representation in the media isn't an even opinion. It's actually really dangerous and weaponizing. People don't are not realizing when they see this in the opinion section, whether it's satire or not, that Putin is every day creating legislation that literally is killing queer Russians. He has signed into law the gay propaganda law in 2013 that says that any image like that we are seeing in the New York Times would put someone in jail in his country because he dislikes gay people that much. So to say that he's gay himself um, while he's creating legislation and creating a world in which you look at Chechnya, that gay people are literally getting rounded up and killed is deeply, deeply troubling for me. You know, it's not a joke for my life other people's lives that are that work on the show itself so it should be a joke in the new york times this is a very desperate moment for queer people globally especially as the white house refuses to acknowledge we exist i mean as you pointed out earlier Saeed, that this piece was published during pride month which was the first month in the white house's history in the past you know nine years or a decade really where they didn't even acknowledge that queer people existed uh, we've seen the hiv councils at the white house being dismantled and underfunded so there's a very systematic attack coming from the white house the trump white house to erase queer people and putin is very overt about his erasure of queer people so then to say that they are actually queer people really detracts from uh distracts from the actual reality that no straight people do this this mm. is a part of a very patriarchal society that says queer people shouldn't exist and to say that it's because of the love that i want with someone is why it's happening is very condescending to say the least yeah it's fucked up well yeah. um zach as always thank you for joining us this morning of course thank you for having me all right, well, listen, let's leave it with this one from Guy Branham, who had to say uh, this tweet about the, the cartoon. You've done it, guys. You've saved democracy by saying Trump and Putin are gay for each other. The first 1,000 times didn't work, but your version was the final nail. You have humiliated them out of destroying democracy by saying they are like gay people. The union is saved. Finally. God bless. All right. Now God I can bless. just go watch Pose in Peace. Oh, my God. That's all I want. Man. The Zach House of Ferocity. Chilling. <laughs> nice shout out. Nice shout out. Zach always just brings such great yeah. context to it, man. That Wonderful. was absolutely phenomenal. As always, follow him. Follow the work he's doing. Because, I mean, the insight that he packs into just a short conversation is stunning, mm -hmm. as always. Well, up next, uh, Isaac sits down with Joe McHale of The Joe McHale Show with Joe McHale. Let's see how many times Isaac can say Joe McHale. Dude. Joe McHale, Joe McHale, Joe McHale, Joe McHale, Joe McHale, Joe McHale, Joe McHale. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joined by actor, comedian, and now host okay. of the Joe McHale Show with Joe McHale. Ladies and gentlemen. Yes. It's Joe McHale. Nice, nice. Let's get some claps. Let's get some claps. Wow. Nice job. How you doing, This man? is great. I'm well. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for... You just fired off a tweet right before we started. Nice Well, move. I fired it off saying I'm on this right now. I really appreciate that. How long man. have you been doing this? I've been doing this in September. And it's going all right? You know, uh, other than you telling me that I look like an underdressed firefighter who was off-duty. I didn't off say underdressed. I just uh, said off-duty firefighter. Off-duty, yeah. Other Did than I that, say underdressed firefighter? No, it's no. It's the red T-shirt that gives. Or you look like you brew beer. 
you know, I do both those what things. What part of Williamsburg do you live in? Let me tell you, it's South, Par- uh, South Slope, my friend. I'm on the South Ooh, Slope. Ooh, yeah. nice. Thank nice, you very much. Nice. Uh, how much money do you make? I'm not going to tell you that right now. Why I not? do want to ask you some questions, but I like how you flipped it Where's here. your co-host? Uh, he's over there. No, he's not. My man, Mikhail. Let me ask you a question. Where'd you get the ring? God, David Yerman. David Yerman, you else? bought it. Yeah, I bought it. Was that like, I'm on BuzzFeed AM, AM to DM, DM that absolutely I'm was. I'm buying myself a present. How long have you been doing this? I have not bought a single ring from David Yerman. I have a couple of their watches. You got watches. a couple, okay. Yeah. I you, cannot afford the I watches. I met David Yerman one time. I, see? You can't afford watches? What are you talking about? Look at this set. You've been doing this longer than I have. How that long have you is, been doing it? I've been doing it since 1961. 1961? Yeah. You look so good for your age. I'm dead. Do you, uh, I, keep, I stay alive by eating dead people. Do you think that your, um, let's see, your, how successful you've been, how much of that has to do with your hair? Oh, 100%. It, it's a good set of hair, especially for a dead guy. Oh, there's a lot of technology going into this hair. Okay. There's, it's barely being held together. That's a, The only cities I can do interviews in are Los Angeles and New York because they have the proper amount of electricity to keep yeah. this going. You can't you can't be in Chicago because it's too windy. It's It'd blow uh, the hair well, right off. It's, it's funny you say that. That's what most people think. But it's actually the electrical storms in the summer. Oh, really makes it stand on end. Where are you from originally? Grew up in the south end of Boston. What about you? Me too. No kidding. Yeah. That's, yeah? That's amazing. What street? Oh, I didn't grow up there. Yeah, see, that's, I knew it. I caught you in a lie, and I appreciate that. I do, let's talk about your show. Let's talk about the, the show. The Joel McHale Show with Joel McHale. Altered Carbon. Trump is so huge in the news. Yes. And you chose to do a show not about politics. Why is that? Well, uh, there's a lot of shows about politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, The Soup, when we did it, was never about politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, we made fun of The Bachelor, and uh, way back when, we would talk about Bobby Brown uh, digging doogie balls out of uh, Whitney Houston. So it was never our target because it was always incredibly well covered by uh, places like The Daily Show and every late night talk show. And right, you because, got John Oliver. Right, and we were on, you know, we were on E, which was the big, you know, it was, that's, it was about entertainment news. Uh, so when we brought the, this version, it's kind of like that show, to Netflix, uh, those shows were, I feel like, being underserved as far as ridicule. <laughs> so, because uh, there are still bachelors and bachelorettes and... Uh, there are there are more still, than ever now. Yeah, there's people still hunting for Sasquatch. <laughs> there are people still looking for ghosts, and those shows don't get nearly enough uh, attention. And you wanted me, to cut through the news cycle and make sure we were ridiculing those shows as yeah, much too. Yeah. Uh, so uh, do it. You know, like I and I was never smart enough to do a political show. That's I don't believe that for a second. Well, let's see. Well, I, let let us see. Well, I need. Well, then we need some scriptwriters. Well, to, listen, Trump is. A reality star, and that's what you do. You I, make fun I, of reality dude, television. Dude, I couldn't agree more. And when he gets impeached and goes back on reality TV, we will make fun of him. <laughs> I guarantee it. Is there? But one... he is the most well-covered president of all time. Thank Absolutely. God. Yeah. Well, yesterday it would have given you juicy material. Is there anything you would have Here's done with the yesterday? Pro- I mean, when we we are not a live news show, uh-huh. we drop the shows in a binge form, so we would be way late to that game. Mm-hmm. Like. The six we just dropped are a recap of what's happened so far in the summer. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so we would be we would be way behind as far as after everybody has chimed in and made jokes and and done all that. Mm-hmm. So, 
so it would be it. We would have to go back and tape more. I mean, right. and if we're going to drop six more, that means we'd need another eight weeks. And then by that time, my guess is people will be talking about another story. Yeah, another news story. Let me ask you, how does it feel to be bingeable like that? To have all it's, six well, episodes drop at once? Uh, it's great because that is how Netflix has set up their system, mm. and it's worked very well for them. Yeah, and. Uh, they, they can are, afford you, and you can afford David exactly, Yerman. Yeah, well, they are the king of the hill, <laughs> and uh, and it doesn't look like they will uh, ever. That's that's going to be for a long time. And believe me, I'm happy to be on there. Uh, you should see their offices; they're way nicer than these. Wow. And uh, yeah, see what I did there? Lots no, of snacks. so no, so uh, I mean, it's been it's been great. With the, with, they noticed after the first thirteen, which were weekly. They noticed that people were binge watching them. Mm -hmm. So they said, would you do that? And I said, absolutely, as long as I can wear a green suit and funny shoes. Hey, then, then I'll be very happy. Yeah. Uh, I do, I do want to ask, right now, it just seems like so many people, especially like YouTube stars, kind of do what you really made popular back in the day with the soup. Do you they think, owe me money. Do you think you would no. be like a YouTube star? Like if you were starting right now, like how would you get into the game? Well, I always feel like I'm starting over every day. Uh, I don't know. You know, I'm not. Uh, the, I am blown away by some of these. Like, I the, like 18 year olds are huge stars, and they're very organized, and they have accountants and agents, and uh, they have script supervisors. I was at 18. I was doing a lot of climbing onto the top of buildings and screaming, "Watch this!" <laughs> So uh, it's I don't know if I was mature enough to have to I, I don't know how I would have approached it. It took me a lot. I didn't get to Los Angeles. Till I was 29. So it I Yeah. And I was very lucky that I had a wife who put up with me for as long as she continues to. Uh, since so, 1996. Uh, since 1996. Yes. So uh, our anniversary is this Friday. I love you. Oh, wow, uh, nice job. And uh, so I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say going back in time how I would have started making fun. I'll, I'll say this. I would watch the YouTube video of you climbing to the building and screaming, oh, watch this. Abs yeah. <laughs> I've had seven concussions and a skull fracture, so I really did do a lot of that. I wish I had documented all that. Because then I would, I would, I probably could sell it. But, yeah. uh, like, I have gotten to know Markiplier a bit, and he's, uh, he's got tens of millions of followers. And, uh, it's funny when you when you say it to someone who's my age when I when you go oh Markiplier came on the show they would look at me like they have no idea what I just said but I when I tell my ten and thirteen year old is I might as well have said Elvis Presley they flip out they flipped out they were like you you're gonna talk to him you can get a picture you're with him? actually gonna be the, they yeah. don't care what you do they're so, just really excited about yeah him. I think the younger generation is using technology. Uh, so exploiting it so much more than adults even realize, then other than the adults that created the technology. Let's talk a little bit about celebrity, though. In 2009, you were on Community. You were one of the most famous faces on there. And then you've got to watch all your stars, kind of, that your co-stars really come into their own. And yeah. it seems like they're owning. What does that well, feel like? Well, except for Donald. He's not done well. I mean, uh, he's, we don't like been, to talk about Donald Glover because he, he hasn't really broken too bad through for in, him. on want, any, in any level. I wouldn't believe how talented he is. And if mm. he ever gets a chance, you're going to see it. Yeah. Uh, like his own show, or if he could just, you know, an album. If he could album. just rap or mm. get into the Star Wars mm. franchise, then maybe people would begin to notice who he is. Start recognizing, yeah. Yeah, and then he might win an award or two. All snark aside, how does it feel to watch your oh, co-stars? Oh, listen, when, when that cast came together, uh, I 
I, it wasn't, I didn't know any, I mean, I know, I knew who uh, Ken Jeong was. One of the most, where, where am I looking, right here? <laughs> Ken Jeong is one of the most untalented people I've ever met. Anyway, um, and bless you. No, um, anyway, uh, what am I talking about? So, yes, I totally, <laughs> yes, I trashed Ken, uh, trash Ken. No, I, I did know, like, as we were sitting around, I, it was the first time I'd been on a show uh, other than the soup that it was picked up and uh, and we're like, oh, let's see how this goes. And uh, the level of talent was remarkable. And I don't I don't I didn't have anything to to measure it against. I was just like, oh, this is what happens when you get on a show. Everyone is just terrific. <laughs> and uh, and so I can I can do one of those things. Where it's like I'm not surprised everyone has done well, uh, but I'm incredibly happy and joyful they have uh, because they're they're some of my favorite people. And let me tell you, Joel, I just got an earnest feeling out of you. That Which feels, is very rare. Feels and really good for camera, me. So be careful. Don't. I'm going to stop it there. Yeah. That's, because that's, that was my one goal. Yeah. Also, you got a shout out to your anniversary, which was great, too. That's true. Are you married? Uh, I am not, but engaged. Were you married? Oh, have you been married uh, before? Uh, wow. Now we're getting really personal. I like that you're going to hold so on to it. you were married before. No, I've never been married, but I when's, look forward to being when's married. When's the date? Let me tell you, next summer, you're invited. Wait, Joel, what, thank you so much for joining date? us. The Joel McHale Show with Joel McHale There's no plan for his marriage. Fire tweets. Look, just don't keep pushing it along. Let's move in first, and then we'll. Fire! Fire! Can you believe Joel McHale just called me out for not having a wedding date? My mom is watching this right now, and she's like, yes, Joel, you're right. Pin him down. Make him choose a date. He called us underdressed. He called me underdressed. Oh, he tweeted it. Oh, very nice. At me, Joel. <laughs> anyway, I got nothing but time. Let's get to these fire tweets. <laughs> Let's do it. This comes from CJ. I can't believe in 2018, black cats are still the least adopted cats in shelters. I can't either. That's a crazy fact. Anyway, why don't people want to look like a witch? Why don't you want to have a small panther in your house? Yeah, come on. Did T'Challa teach you nothing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm allergic wanted... to cats, but I would absolutely happily have a black cat. What's the cat, Sabrina? Sab uh, the teenage witch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think his name was Salem. Yeah, Salem. Salem. Come on, get yourself a Salem. Have some fun with Salem. Awesome. Exactly. But not around me. <laughs> <laughs> not around side. Miel, you tweeted, we are getting two Mama Mias and exactly zero Papa Pias. <laughs> and that's how I know feminism is working. Yes. <laughs> Yes. No I Papa Pia. I feel like this new cycle has worn me down, and I'm just like, sure. Come on. <laughs> Papa Pia is all it. it takes to make me laugh. Have you watched Mamma Mia? No. Oh, it's not for me. It sounds like a live viewing party we're going to have to have. Okay, all right. Megan, you tweeted this. People who wear, who wear yellow shirts under denim overalls are so brave, I can't imagine the strength it must take to go out in public wearing the Minions uniform. <gasps> Megan. <laughs> how are you gonna do the Minions like that? You know how I feel about Minions. You love the Minions. I love them. It's a look, it's an aesthetic. Patrick's kid dressed as a Minion for Halloween, one of our producers. I'm gonna start it right now, he guys. He still wears it. <laughs> Use the hashtag AM to DM to let Saeed know that you would like him to wear overalls over a yellow shirt live on the show. At me. At me. <laughs> Post Proof Rock, you tweeted, best part about going viral is knowing your enemies will see it and will wonder if you still hate them. 
which you do. Mm. Mm. Sweet, sweet revenge. I'm pretty sure that's the only reason you tweet. That's what keeps me going. That's what keeps me going. <laughs> All right, tweet of the day. Wow, this is a username. It comes from Thomas Violence. Ooh. So, that's right. a PSA. Every single wealthy tech dude has sunk millions of dollars into coaches and consultants who try and teach them how to look and act like a relaxed, normal person, and they simply can't do it. This is an amazing testament to the power of the human spirit. You can't buy being cool. You simply cannot. <laughs> That's facts. <laughs> That's true. I'm sorry. Are you just thinking? I'm thinking thoughts and I'll just what would the tweet world them all do? later. What would the world do if there was a cool tech leader? Have we had a No. No. Just kidding. Love you, Jonah Peretti. So cool. <laughs> Up next, we're celebrating World Emoji Day with Julia Reinstein. It's gonna be awesome. <laughs> I'm Julie Reinstein, a reporter for BuzzFeed News, and this is Tech Talks. Today is World Emoji Day, and I'm joined by Jeremy Burge, founder and chief emoji officer of Emojipedia. Hey, Jeremy. Hey. Hey, so we're talking about World Emoji Day today. So first of all, can you tell us what that actually is and what Emojipedia is? Uh, so World Emoji Day is July 17. Uh, the reason it's on July 17 is that the iOS calendar emoji says July 17, which is another story, again, that Apple just did it because that's when iCal was announced. but. Uh, we at Emojipedia, we started World Emoji Day on that day because we wanted a day to celebrate it. Emojipedia is a reference. You look up what the emojis mean, what they look like, sort of the, the dictionary for emojis. Awesome. So do you have a favorite emoji? No, I get super bored of using the same ones. <laughs> you know, when you, and I feel like I use them so much for work. I've been using a lot recently the, the fairies. I don't know, they came out last year. I don't have a particular reason. I just think they look kind of decorative, and I got bored of the, the stars. I hear ya. So in How your, about you? Do you have for a... me, I, I've lately been using the upside down emoji a lot. You know, yeah. these are trying times, and sometimes you just feel a little like, yeah. Um, <laughs> do you have uh, an opinion on what the most misused emoji is? Most misused emoji. I feel like what you get is you get it when. It's, it's, it's kind of the things that it's obvious to younger people, but you get like the peach and the eggplant that older people might not always <laughs> get right. Misused for other ones. I don't know, I think use them however you want to use them. There's no right or wrong. You know, people get really annoyed sometimes and they go, that's meant to be used this way, but whatever. Use it how you like. I like that, yeah. So yesterday, Apple offered a first look at the iOS emojis for 2018, which included new hairstyles, more options for diversity. So what can we expect this year for emojis? Uh, so this is the update coming out later in the year. Uh, as you said, red hair, curly hair, bald people are in the list. Uh, what else? We've got a, a face that's sort of cold. It's got icicles coming out of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the whole mix. You get sort of the, the diversity options and then you just get the, the fun stuff that people like. You know, last year the mm -hmm. sandwich came out. This year there's a llama in the list and people love a llama. So. Yeah, people love a llama. Yeah, so we got a llama coming uh -huh. this year. So that's that's on the way. And as I say, all those skin tones, uh -huh. got bald people, people with white hair. Uh, people say to me, oh, aren't they already like the older people? But these are white-haired younger people. So maybe someone in their 30s or 40s or 50s that has yeah. white hair, but they're not like a balding man or a grandma. Or it's good for the hipsters who like dye their hair gray on purpose. Yeah, yeah. trendy, trendy. Yeah, it's very trendy. Yeah, very in, it's very yeah. 2018. Yeah, so um, 
In 2016, you had the first ever World Emoji Awards. Uh, the categories included Emoji of the Year, Excellence in Emoji Use. So what can we expect for this year's awards? Uh, this year, we have Best New Emoji, which are part of the emojis that came out last year. So you can vote for any of those, which are things like the vomiting face <laughs> came out last year. Um, we also have the sandwich that I mentioned before coming out last year. And then this year, we've got the most anticipated emoji, things like the skateboard, the kangaroo, the raccoon. Uh, excellence in emoji use. These are people that use emojis really well. We've got Snoop Dogg and Roger Federer. <laughs> um, and then emoji of the year is the emoji that best describes 2018. So it's out of the top 10. You can choose the 100. You can choose the pile of poo. But I don't know. What do you think? What, what's the emoji of 2018? I don't know. I'll have to think about that one. Do you have any uh, front runners in mind? Uh, I, I took a glimpse about three hours ago at the uh -huh. early voting and the vomiting face and the, the thinking face were sort of leading the best the emoji of the year so far and I, I think the best most anticipated emoji probably the redheads but you never know yeah i've heard some redheads pretty excited about that one people so, yeah. are pretty into their red hair <laughs> yeah that's good so last year emojis took over the movies with the emoji movie and this year they're going to broadway so what can you tell us about the emoji musical and why do you think we need it uh, so there is an emoji musical that launches tonight in New York City. I've, I've seen the, the behind the scenes of their songs. Their songs look very good. I'm very much looking forward to that. That's why we need it. I don't know. Do we need an emoji musical? <laughs> <laughs> but it, it looks like it'll be fun. I mean, um, it, it looks like the crew are doing an actually a good job. I'm genuinely looking forward to going. But uh, I don't really know quite the structure of how you put emojis into a musical, so we'll find out. I guess we'll find out, and yeah, I'll, yeah. maybe I'll get to check that out at you some should, point. You should, you should. All right, well, thank you for joining us, Jeremy. Up next, Stephanie is here to help you budget your love life. Stay tuned. Welcome back. This is Save the Day, brought to you by Wendy's 444 Meal. Paper Wash, you tweeted, me on a third date. This relationship is getting expensive. I think we can all relate to that. So Charlotte Cowles is here and she is a money columnist for The Cut and she is going to help me budget our love life. Charlotte, welcome back. Thank you so much for Thank coming on for again. Thank you for having me. Okay, so do you have ideas for cheap dates that won't reveal to our date that we are trying to be cheap? <laughs> so I think because it's summer, it is like prime season for cheap dates. There's just a lot of easy ways to have fun without spending a ton of money. I actually think that cheap dates can be much more fun than expensive dates because they kind of take the pressure off. There's just not high stakes. You can relax, enjoy yourselves. You don't have to go out for some fancy expensive dinner. You can just take a bottle of wine and go to the park, go to some outdoor happy hour, food trucks. There's just tons of options, free concerts, things like that. Food trucks, I like it. Earlier this year, we had Ashley C. Ford on uh, to discuss her article about millennial women who are conflicted about being breadwinners. And we had this conversation about pressure and expectations. So what are some ways we can approach dating and date nights when there might be a huge gap between incomes with your partner? So I think it depends on what date you're on. So the first date, I think, I think the first couple of dates is a good idea to really keep things you know, on the inexpensive side, just to make sure that everyone feels comfortable. And then I think as things progress and you start speaking, you become a little bit more aware of the other person's finances, you can um, start taking turns and whoever plans the date can pay for it. And that way you are each sort of um, planning for whatever it is that you're comfortable doing. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, Mello Mussy tweeted, I think the number one cause of fighting in marriages is money and that we need to get that out of the way by talking it about it as early as in the dating stage. So I'm a huge fan of this. I think I've read things about people who didn't know how much their partner made until they were engaged or married, which I think is totally crazy. Yeah. So when do you think the right time is to start talking about money in relationships? So I think that it's a really great idea to just start talking about approaches to money pretty early on. So this doesn't need to be like, how much money do you have in your bank account or what kind of debt do you have? It can be very simple outlooks on money, like what kinds of things are you willing to spend money on? What kinds of things do you think are worth saving on? Um, whether or not you grew up in a family where money was really stressful or um, maybe you went on a lot of like cool vacations when you were younger. So you can kind of really get a vibe for what the other person values. And that is actually a lot more important, I think, initially than knowing exactly what their finances look like in terms of numbers. Yeah, I think it, I think it's interesting in any ways to see how someone spends money so differently than you. Because yeah. a lot of people, you know, sometimes they'll spend money on things. They're like, oh my gosh, like I would never spend that. But it's just yeah. like everyone's different in that regard. Okay, so the key to dating on a budget is getting creative and personalizing your days. So you agreed to play a little game with me. I have some celebrities here, and we're gonna go through a few and see if you can put together a fantastic celebrity-worthy date with just twenty dollars. Are you ready to play the game? Yeah. Yes, I'm ready. Okay, so our first one is Michael B. Jordan, <laughs> star, hot guy right now. Uh, so what could we do with, you know, I obviously I asked him out and now I have to plan this amazing romantic night with 20 bucks. So I think that the key with situations like this is to do your research and we know that he's a sporty guy, we know that he definitely works out. So I feel like in this situation you'd want to go on a hike or do something kind of athletic with him, but you'd have to make sure that he takes it easy on you. True, true. That's a great idea. I love hiking. Hiking is a great way to get to know people because yeah. you just talk the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> okay, next up we have the lovely and talented Tessa Thompson. Big girl right now, so how could I impress Tessa? Tell me. So she's artsy. She's done some Shakespeare. She has um, you know, some literary background. So I think that with her you could go to an art museum, maybe like some kind of reading at a bookstore. There are always things like that that are local and free if not very cheap. Um, sometimes art galleries, if it's an opening, they have free wine. Mm. Um, so there are a lot of cultural options there. I mean, that is classy AF, you know, <laughs> like to be like, oh my gosh, would you like to come to a reading at a bookstore with me? That's so fabulous. Okay, last but not least, one of the best Chris's around, Chris Evans. I love that Chris. He's a great Chris, he's a great Chris. Okay, so how can I impress Chris Evans? Help so, me. two things. One option, we know he has a dog, mm, so you okay. can always do something kind of dog related. I think he adopted the dog. See, again, I did my research. I think he <laughs> adopted <course>. the dog, <laughs> so <laughs> you could maybe think about doing something at a dog shelter if you are really organized or feeling very, um, in a do-gooder kind of mood, or else um, we know that he is funny and he appreciates funny women. So you could go to a comedy show with him, maybe an improv show. Most of those are like five or 10 bucks. Yeah, I think that's one of the best not even cheap date ideas, but cheap activity ideas. You know, if you're having people come to New York like I did when I first moved to the city, everyone visited at once, you can go to UCB for like 10 bucks. It's exactly. a great way to like have this very New York experience without spending that much money. 
Well, Charlotte, thank you so much for joining me today. If only I wasn't married, I could ask out all these people. And clearly we could be in love forever. And we want to hear from you. What is your go-to date night on a budget? Let us know using the hashtag AmsDM. And don't go away. Up next, Isaac and Saeed are back to respond to your tweets. Hi there, welcome back. Okay, welcome to Add Us. Um, I wanted to take a moment and wish a happy book pub day to Nicole Perkins. Woo! We love her. Of course, you know her as uh, the one of the hosts of the Thirst Aid Kid podcast. Mm. She has a debut poetry collection out today, Lilith But Dark. I've read just some of the poems from the book. I'm excited to read more, but it's just, it's beautiful. It's, it's fierce, it's stormy, just like her. And uh, I'm excited and you can get it everywhere. Um, and she's having a book launch tonight. Yeah, have you seen her on the show? You you read her writing on we stand. She's a mate. We do. Mm -hmm. We stand. We stand. So I just wanted to put that love out. A little there. poetry love. <laughs> Lord, do we need it. We need love. We need poems. Help! <laughs> we need life jackets. All right, listen, we asked for your reactions to the news out of Helsinki yesterday. Latria says, I wasn't shocked at all yesterday. Mm. However, I'm just increasingly more scared and I'm going to start keeping a go bag like they did on NCIS. What's a go bag? Is that like the revolution is here? Act now? Oh, you want to ask me about a go bag? Oh, gosh. Absolutely. So a go bag <laughs> is a bag that you would pack with essentials, you know, like food and clothing. Okay. Should there ever be, uh, 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 let's say an earthquake would be okay. a great example, or, you know, an invasion from another country. Do you have a go bag? Of course I got, like, three go bags. Because you got to have a go bag. Well, what if you can't get to your go bag in the back of the house? you got to get to your go bag in front of the house. <laughs> then you got to have your secret go bag, which is underneath the floorboards, you know, the special go bag that nobody know about. <laughs> I don't have a go bag, but I have agreed upon white person who will get the text when the revolution comes. Only one white person, and it's, it's this guy. Oh, thanks. Yeah, but act right. Screw you, Lucas. Change no, I can change at any moment, my goodness. All right, let's talk about your interview with Joe McHale. Mm -hmm. uh, Softy38, you said this. This interview is awkwardly hilarious, which is typical Joe McHale of the Joe McHale show starring Joe McHale. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, when he sat down, the first thing he said was, you look like an off-duty firefighter. And one, here's the thing. I did used to be a volunteer firefighter. So one, he nailed it. I was like, did you Google me before this? He was like, absolutely not. Two, this is what he does. Like he's a snarky dude and his show I find very, very hilarious. Um, I will say like sitting across from him, he yeah. has, and I think this is one of the things that really has led to his success. He has this look on his face, this smirk that lets you know like, hey, I'm joking with you, oh, okay. but it's it's all gonna be okay. He was a lot right. of fun. That said, he did make me shout out David Yerman. So David Yerman, if you're watching this, feel free to send me free stuff, oh, that'd be great. Man, look, I, Isaac is so like pretty frugal and like, but listen, he, when we walk into David Yerman in Soho, girl, those jewelry salespeople I'm line just put it up. Right there, right there. <laughs> Listen, their skull rings, they're really pretty. They're really pretty. I just like them. I'm convinced he's the easiest mark in the jewelry market. That, or that they're is, like, he's back. He's that is back. absolutely true. <laughs> but I also listen not to here. I can I can point him. Where am I pointing him? Oh, like oh, where are we going? Where are we going? There you go. There you go. So here's the deal. I will also say that I appreciated what he had to say about why he doesn't cover Trump. Okay. Like the fact of the matter is, is he's like, look, so many people are doing that, and it's okay to kind of take a break and make fun of reality shows. I'm with him. Cool. Uh, Trey Gowdy's barber had a response to. <laughs> my outfit today. To be fair, I was going to wear a different shirt, but it was it didn't look good on camera. Mm. Um, you said, I have one comment, prosciutto shirt. 
<laughs> I'll take it. Dang, now I'm hungry. That is really, that's really funny. <laughs> I would say that Saeed is a snack. All right, thank you to our guests, Joel McHale, Emma Loop, Andrew Wright, Zach Stafford, Julia Reinstein, Jeremy Burge, Stephanie McNeil, and Charlotte Cowles, of course, for joining us. It was a great show. We're going to get through this together, y'all. It's still only Tuesday. We will see you tomorrow, Twitter. <laughs> Proshido. 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 Proshido.